We've got a weekend meeting plus one going, and uh, I like the plus one. Good to see you here this evening. I've really enjoyed being with the congregation here. So many similarities to Charlottesville and the kind of things you're doing, the kind of ways you're building, and I've been very encouraged to be with you. And thank you for inviting me. As you already know, I've mentioned to so many of you privately that uh, I have, since I've known of this group, and Buddy and Tony Patrick were here, uh, and held a meeting years ago, and then, of course, you know, Brian, who's very dear to me, I encouraged him to come here and have kept up since then. And I really believe you got some great things going. And just be, be, be sure, let's look to the Lord. By the way, great song selection. Thank you. Perfect. It's really well. Well done. What, you know, going to the Lord, trusting God. Uh, uh, there are answers when we feel like things are bleary. Let's talk tonight about doubt. I want to be encouraging you tonight about the nature of God. And I also want to show you Satan's work. We're kind of going to build on last night's lesson. Uh, dealing with bitterness and anger and dishonesty and uh, pride. Let's talk about doubt. I view doubt, when handled right, as a great opportunity. I believe that if you are not struggling with doubt in some areas, that you're not studying. I've always found that doubt is the gateway to knowledge. I first know I need to know more. Now, there's a question I don't know the answer to. When I take it to the Lord and I pursue the Lord, guess what? God gives light. But not everyone handles doubt that way. You see, doubt can be eliminated by faith. And faith does not come cheaply. Faith does not come with ease. It requires thinking and effort and examination. I've oftentimes found it wonderful thing is we've been doing our Bible readings in Charlottesville and been reading sometimes through the gospel accounts to see how Jesus produced faith. You know what I used to think we needed to produce faith with is we got all the answers and we come up to somebody and we give them all the answers and they just listen. I, I want to tell you that alone does not produce faith. What you got to do is you begin to present material to people and then they have questions. And let me just show you what Jesus would do with questions. Look at this, Matthew chapter 12. He said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those that were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those priests who are with him, but only for the priest. And he goes on, or have you not read? You know what he's doing? Hey guys, there's something you haven't studied. And you're coming at me here, you need to study this. Guess what? He left that with them and they needed to choose to study. Commonly, if you ask Jesus a question in, the, in, the, in, in his ministry, you know what he would do? He'd come back with a question. Jesus can help any of us if we're willing to take up the challenge to think and pursue, shallow people won't get it. And see, it's a real opportunity when you have doubt. I oftentimes say doubt is the doorway to faith, is the doorway to knowledge. You don't stay in the doorway. It's a place where you enter and then you exit. I've oftentimes wondered, if Jesus wanted to convince everybody he was the Son of God, you know how he could have done it? He could have come to this world on a chariot of fire. 
And then when he preached, he could have put on the sky his PowerPoint and had a bolt of lightning every time he brought up a new point. And everybody would have believed him. But Rick, he came as a just an ordinary baby to a, a country that most people would have considered a backwoods and he came to the backwoods of the backwoods country. And you know what he rarely ever said? I am the Son of God. He did it three times, but that's about it. He wanted everybody to know that he was the Son of God and he rarely said, hey everybody, I'm the Son of God. You know what he did? He did things and then says, hey, if you recognize this, you need to draw some conclusions. You have to think. Lazy minds will never escape doubt. But if you want to escape doubt, get your thinking cap on. Learn how to test all things. As Jesus says in John 7, 17, if anyone wants to do His will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. You know how you know it? You look, at, you, look you listen, you test, you read, you compare what you've read to other things that you've read. Faith does not come easy, but faith is powerful when you fight for it. And so, now let's talk about Satan. Satan loves doubt. He loves to plant doubt in the lazy mind. Because the lazy mind will never escape doubt. They're caught in it. Oh no, what about this? What about that? What happens if this? And they never get out of that. You're talking about your relationship with God. You're talking about a relationship in marriage. You're talking about a relationship with your brethren. You know, the worst thing you can do is keep yourself in doubt and uncertainty and you're like the frightened, you know, deer in the headlights and you're just sitting here and you're miserable. And when you do that, Satan says, let me tell you what you do. Stop thinking about it. Go into darkness. Bury it. Pretend it's not there. Oh, my friend, don't bury doubt. Doubt has similarity to bitterness. It'll come up, it'll come up later, and it'll come up something much stronger, and that will hurt you. Don't be lazy. Let's talk about God. Over and over, we talked about Hebrews 11.6. I got it later on in this same outline. When I know who God is, I know His character. I know that He loves me. I know what He's done for me. I know there's nowhere else I want to be. Here's what faith looks like. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith it is impossible to please Him for he who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. We keep thinking. We keep asking questions. And by the way, some doubts are not answered quickly. Do you know what are the interesting examples of doubts are in the Bible? It's of a man that Jesus called at that time one of the greatest men who's ever lived of faith. John the Baptist. John the Baptist worked six months ahead of Jesus before his coming. John the Baptist talked about Jesus of how he was going to come and he was going to judge that nation and of how here was going to be the mighty kingdom that was going to come and John preached exactly what God told him to preach. Did you know a lot of prophets do not fully understand what they prophesy? You read that in Peter. Well, John accurately said, but he, I don't think John quite understood the nature of the kingdom. By the way, neither did Jesus' apostles until probably after His ascension and resurrection. In Luke 7.19, this would be startling to some people. 
And John calling two of his disciples to him sent them to Jesus. Now let me tell you why. You know why John had to send disciples to Jesus? He's in prison. You know what's going to happen to John shortly? He's going to be executed. And if you heard about Jesus' ministry, do you know what's happening with Jesus' ministry right now? You get to a certain point in his life, maybe the second year or so on, he seems to be very popular, and then bloop, his popularity goes, and it just craters. And here John the Baptist is seeing this, I'm in prison. People wanting to kill Jesus. And so he sends two of his disciples to publicly ask this question. Are you the coming one or do we look for another? Wait, John. Read John what? John told his disciples, you know where most of Jesus' apostles came from? They came from John the Baptist. He said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. God told me I would recognize Him when the Holy Spirit would come down from heaven and I saw it. I'll bear testimony. This is the Son of God. Why is John asking this? John's hurting. I'll have to tell you, one of my fears is to be isolated. Not being useful. Being hemmed up in a place. John's hurting, but you know what he's doing? And this is why he had some doubts. His doubt was created by misunderstanding. He knew who the Lord was. But you know what he was doing with his doubts? Are you ready for this? He took it to Jesus. When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you saying, are you the coming one or do we look for another? He had doubt. It was doubt and misunderstanding about the plan of God. But he went to Jesus. as John, Verse 21. And from you know what Jesus did? He got that question. He has these disciples. He says, come here, let me show you some things. And that very hour, he cured many of infirmities, afflictions, and evil spirits. And to many blind, he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things you have seen and heard. And then he actually quotes scripture. And then in verse 23, as blessed is he who is not offended because of me. You know what Jesus did with John? He gave him the eyewitness testimony of miracles that only could be done through God. And he gave him the scripture of what he's doing. And could you imagine John hearing the report, okay, 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 yeah, yeah. He, he had faith, but he had his faith reaffirmed. Brethren, we all have to do that. In John 3, 21 it says, but he does the truth comes to light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. It's okay to have doubt. But don't leave your doubt. Don't get stuck in doubt. Pursue answers. And God will bless you richly. You know, Peter made a mess of a lot of things. I believe in John 6, this was the pinnacle of Jesus' popularity. And Jesus, let me tell you one thing Jesus does. He roots out the shallow. And He taught a lesson that the shallow people could have understood, but they didn't. They walked out on Jesus. Look at John 6, verse 66. It says, From that time many of His disciples went back and walked with him no more. Now look at verse 67. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? I love Peter's answer. I think Peter had doubt at this point. I believe Peter was perplexed like, Wait just a minute, Lord, we're losing all the popularity. But you know one thing Peter knew? <laughs> he didn't know everything, 
But he knew some things, and here's one of the things he knew, and he was going to hold on to court the Lord regardless of anything else. In verse 68, But Simon Peter answered him and said, The Lord, whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. My brethren, there's nothing wrong with doubt. As long as you have the foundation of knowing where the answers are, and you pursue it. I know that when our family went to Charlottesville, it was a big challenge to all of our children. And I know my, my oldest son, Stephen, and, and even Nathan, they, they talked about how that was a blessing to their faith to go through a difficult time. I really do believe, brethren, that it's in the difficult times, the times of doubt, is our opportunity for greatest spiritual growth. I can remember times in my life where I cried out to the Lord. I remember one, one time early on when I was single and there's times I really had questions of whether or not I should preach. And of course, there's some real questions of whether or not I should have in terms of ability. But I can remember when I was trying to struggle with the idea of preaching. Well, you know, I'd go back to, is Jesus the Son of God? Here's the evidence for that. Is the gospel God's plan to salvation? Yes, it is. Is there anything greater than, than helping people know that? There's nothing greater. And I would go back through my doubt with evidence. And things I know, and I reaffirm it and make it stronger. This is how doubt can be a blessing as long as we are diligently seeking God. Now brethren, sometimes we are not very deep spiritually. And you know what God will bring us? Suffering, difficulty, challenges. It could be challenges in relationships. It could be challenges at work. It could be challenges in your health. It could be challenges in a lot of ways. And guess what? You, you want to get around those challenges. You want to beat those doubts. But guess what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to start digging and building a foundation if you haven't had it already. Luke 6.48, Jesus says, He is like a lot. Here's the, 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 the at the end of the, the Sermon on the Mount, very similar story was made. He says, He is like a man building a house who dug deep. And laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, and the stream beat vehemently against that house, and could not shake it, for it is founded on the rock. Now notice, digging deep. You know when you dig deep, you dig deep when you're hurting. You dig deep when you have questions. And you know, some questions it may take you years to work through. I'm not saying everything happens instantaneously. I was thinking about the song, we're, we're, uh, we're uh, let's see, the, uh, yeah, tempted and tried. The one, one, the one first song we sang, we talk about worrying about the rich. I was thinking of ASAP in Psalm 73. You need to go to the temple of God. <laughs> you go to the temple of God, then you understand their end. But ASAP is a good example of one of those verses where, why do people prosper when, when I'm serving the Lord? Well, you see, those times are great opportunities to build faith. But you got to build it on reality. And that reality is God's Word. That reality is the Lord and His ways. Again, I won't give you a whole lot here in this next section. But when we come to know God, there's just something about that. Lord, I got a lot of things wrong. I don't know everything I got wrong. I do know You. And You've taught me a lot of things. And, and I want Your ways. And there are times you look at the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was very upset with God. Lord, don't you see all the mess what the country's going through? And he, he, he actually charged God. God, don't you see it? Of course, he knew better. And he says, what I'm going to do is Lord's going to correct me. I'm just going to wait. And when I get the answer, I know I'm wrong. But there's something about letting God be your foundation and your hope and your peace. 
Psalm 63.1, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judea. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. In a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you. And we can continue reading this psalm. But what you see here is somebody who knows who God is. If you have that, then let me tell you, you can work through doubts. This world identifies a lot of things today. But the Bible says in verse Jeremiah 9.24, But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight. And so again, there's our foundation. Now, let's talk about doubt. I, I, I won't repeat Isaiah 40. We talked about that earlier in this meeting about telling people what God is like. I would start as we begin to look upon doubt to understand that there is such a thing as truth. I want to begin talking about this culture. This culture is being permeated by a philosophy that's really a religion. It's a political religion. It's sometimes called postmodernism. Sometimes it's called critical theory. Sometimes you'll see aspects of this called critical race theory. And if people go to universities right now, I'm telling you, and they work for the government or they work for some major corporations, they are going to be indoctrinated in this. And if they don't know what they're being taught, it's very easy to get them to turn against God, turn against church, and become agnostics. And this system basically says words cannot communicate truth. If absolute truth exists, you can't know it. And, and they try to say, well, you know, not to be oppressive. We need to take care of the needy. It's wonderful to take care of the needy, but this system takes the natural desire to help people and turns it into something very evil. And one of the worst things that happens about this system is people no longer believe in God and believe in truth. And there are some that stay within the church. They say they believe in God, but you can't even talk to them or reason with them. This goes back to an extended pattern of bitterness that we talked about last night. Listen about, if you serve God, God believes that you can know truth and you can do it through words. If you deny that, atheism is the only rational alternative to this. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever, I rejoice greatly in that I found some of your children walking in truth. As we receive commandment from the Father, when you pursue truth, you can do it through words, you can do it through reason, and you can talk with others. Matter of fact, you want to talk to others. And when you get some, somebody caught in Satan and Satan's ways, they're going to shut you out. They may love you. Oh, we love you as parents, but we're not going to talk about it. And there is the work of Satan. You know how Satan pulls us into doubt? A couple of ways. First off, our own sin. Brethren, we need to learn what repentance means and we need to learn what forgiveness means. Sometimes people don't forgive themselves. There was a man that was spoken of in 1 Corinthians 5. He had taken his own father's wife. And so what should they have done? Just wiped them out, destroyed them? But they did mark him. They did withdraw social company from him. But guess what? He repented. And when one repents, they need to know God forgives them. They need to forgive themselves and brethren need to forgive them. 
In 2 Corinthians 2.10 it says, For whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For indeed, if I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Now look at verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. I know many Christians that struggle with guilt. I don't know if I'm going to go to heaven. They don't have assurance. And I haven't done lessons on this in this meeting and I really don't have time to do one right now. But we need to know we're right with God. We need to understand what forgiveness is. And by the way, when we understand how God forgives us, we're going to forgive others. We just don't hold it over somebody. I'm not sure you repented. I'm not sure you're going to do right. That's not right. That's fundamental to Christianity. But it this it many times destroys Christians. They're kind of here, but their doubt is, I'm not sure I'm a real Christian. I'm not sure my prayers get past the ceiling. A lot of people struggle with that. And there's an answer to this. There's an answer to this. There's a power to know. But don't stay in that doubt. Work on that. I've seen some people, they get upset at me in a sermon. They think I've been reading their email, and I haven't. And it's interesting when people are hiding sin without repentance. The Bible says the wicked flee when no one pursues. And so there's a kind of doubt that, again, that's a doubt where you gotta, you got to face God, be honest with God. And so um, we need to have our hearts open to God. I want to go ahead and, and go a little further here. Uh, one of the things I've seen interesting that's happened is that sometimes people don't want to believe what the Bible says because somebody has hurt them. You're going like, whoa, just a minute, Larry. We're talking about God in the Bible and we're talking about hurt. We're going to go back to the irrationality of anger and bitterness. I'll never forget years ago, Lynn Huggins and I were in Lincoln, Nebraska. And we were studying with a man from an institutional background. He had done a prison ministry and he was telling, he, you could tell he had, he had an anger about him. He says, we're not going to have any patternists come to our, our jailhouse and our work. And of course, Lynn and I both were patternists, but I don't guess he didn't know that. But you know, he, he had this anger toward brethren that believed you had to have Bible authority for everything that you taught. And I found that interesting. I saw that anger. And we started reading through the Scriptures and there was a passage we came to. The conclusion was obvious. And he wouldn't draw that conclusion. We'd look at it. We'd ask this question. We'd ask this question. And it was obvious the answer. And he would not draw the conclusion. It was at the end of the study. Lynn and I went home. I says, Lynn, let's take a different approach to the next study. This man's been hurt. There's something in his background that if you can bring it out, you're going to find a connection to why we couldn't get him the reason this way. And you know what had happened? He once had preached. He had been in a congregation that actually correctly taught on authority, but the leadership evidently mistreated him. I don't know the details of that. I'll accept his testimony. You know what happens sometimes when people feel mistreated in a church? They not only get angry at those who mistreated them, but if those people stand for certain doctrines, they won't oppose those doctrines because this person has, has hurt them. That's not logical, but it happens all the time. Somebody gets hurt at a church and they go, I'm fed up with conservative churches of Christ. 
Have you studied through these questions? Somebody hurt me. Well, wait just a minute. Have you studied through these questions? Oh, those people are harmful and hurtful, and I just know what they're thinking. I can read their minds, and I'm going to write them all off. Do you see the fallacy of that? That's why some people say, I'm going to be an atheist because a Christian, what's hurting me? I want to tell you something. Jesus didn't have anything to do with that. But it's the irrationality of anger and bitterness. And sometimes doubts are, are taken. There's a group of people that you're, that you can associate with that can destroy your faith. Look at Psalms 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You can see this on social media. Brian and I have been talking about it. You can see it. I've watched it for years. I watched it at a distance when I talked to you last night about the church that was divided that I preached at. You can see a group of people. They find somebody that's hurt and they want to get close to you. You've been hurt. And they view that as an opportunity. But get this, not as an opportunity to solve your hurts. When you get in their fellowship, they're just going to feed that hurt. They don't want it resolved, and they want to build on that hurt. Have you heard it in politics that a crisis is a terrible thing to waste? In politics, you want to take something bad that's happened and blame it on the other group, and you may have caused it. But that works with in, in the church, and young people are very vulnerable to this. If we don't resolve our hurts, we become very vulnerable to the wolves. And that's how wolves work. They find the weakened and they try to get the weakened. And it's very easy. And you get it into association. Look at that last group. They're sitting in the seat of the scornful. I won't repeat last night's lesson. But it broke my heart to see the scorn that was going on in social media and so on about brethren in general. But you know what I need to do? If I know who the Lord is, I'm going to draw close to people who love God. I'm going to draw close to people who won't close the Bible, but open the Bible with me. In verse 2, it says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Those are the people I want to draw to. I want to get rid of my hurt. I want to forgive. I want to move on. I want to draw closer to God. Let me show you an example of this in living color. You want to know how Satan takes advantage of your doubt and hurt? Consider Absalom, the son of David. Here's how doubt is exploited to make you angry and bitter and put you into the work of Satan himself. Here's Absalom, verse 1 of 2 Samuel 15. After this it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Notice that he had, man, he had the entourage. And by the way, he was spending David's money on this. He, you know, I look at this, David, why did you let him do this? But that's another question. Verse 2. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. And so it was, whenever one, anyone had a lawsuit, came to the king for a decision. Stop just for a moment. Ever been in a lawsuit? That's pretty emotional, isn't it? You're going in a lawsuit and you feel pretty strongly and maybe the other person feels pretty strongly and you worry, is this going to be fair? And sometimes you may feel like you've been hurt, but the law really doesn't give you recompense. You know, the law may function properly, but again, it's an emotional time for somebody. Now notice what Absalom did. So it was, whenever anyone had a lawsuit, came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call to him and say, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, 
Oh, look, your case is good and right. Oh, you, you, you ought to win this. But there is no deputy from the king to hear you. You know what? I can see Absalom meeting one side of the case. Oh, you're right. And meeting the people on the other side of the case. Oh, you're right. You know what Absalom doesn't have to do? He doesn't have to stand in the arena and actually solve that. He's wanting to get people mad and love him. That's what the scoffer does. Oh, you've been hurting the church. Oh, churches of Christ are really bad about people doing these things and these things. And they all get into scoffing and laughing. You see, doubt can be a a way of driving a wedge between you and your brethren and you and the Lord. Don't let manipulators take your doubt. You leave your doubt out there. You leave your hurt out there. You're vulnerable. Listen to this. <laughs> Moreover, I was to say, oh, that I was made a judge in the land. And everyone who had any suitor cause would come to me and then I would give him justice. Brethren, be wise. And so, one of the struggles that we would find when people are hurt, if they don't resolve their hurt and they don't resolve their doubt, sometimes you can have people come into a local congregation that are not good people. I hope, you know, I'm not want you to be suspicious of your brethren. But there are occasions, particularly in a large congregation, I served as a shepherd in a large congregation, and I was always on the lookout for this situation. In 2 Peter 2, 1, it says, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. You know how it works? And I've seen this, where people would see people hurting, and they wouldn't go to the strong person. They would go to the weak person and invite them into the home. And then once they think it's favorable, they'll start criticizing the, the, the eldership or criticizing the preacher or criticizing things. And they start bringing them in, giving them attention, flattering them. Be careful, brethren. Be very careful here. Because he goes on to say they will exploit you through deceptive words. I want to briefly talk about the problem we're facing right now in our culture, briefly, about justice and, and, the, and the, the, the politics. Jesus in Luke 12 talked about beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. But notice in Mark 8.15, it says, Then he charged them, saying, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. It's interesting here as we look at this. Do you know what the leaven of Herod is? I know what the leaven of the Pharisees is. You know what the leaven of Herod is? It's a political philosophy. You can get so caught up in politics that literally you can make it your religion. And right now, brethren, in this country, there's a philosophy that's being taught is every bit a part of religion is anything that's ever existed in this country. And they're trying to teach you to judge people not on the basis of what they've done, but on the basis of some group that people name arbitrarily. Let's first talk about my God. You know what my God is? My God's all about justice. If you want to talk about anything about justice, you need to go to God. And by the way, God says words can't communicate justice. This system says words can't. God says, oh, no, no, no. We all have a sense of a need of justice. It is innate within us. Anything that's a characteristic of God is something that we need. The Bible over and over again talks about our God. Zephaniah 3 and verse 5. It says, the Lord is righteous in her midst. He will do no unrighteousness. Every morning he brings his justice to life. He never fails. If I want to be just, I need to look at my God. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 3, it says, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all of His ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice. Righteousness and upright is He. When you see justice, guess what? There's such a thing as sin. There's such a thing as wrong. There's such a thing as righteousness. And the atheistic version of justice will basically say, if you oppose sin, you are evil. Hey, he calls good evil, evil good. Doesn't Satan do that? Oh, you're opposing homosexuality. Oh, you're evil. You're oppressing people. It depresses me. I walked down Embassy Row in Washington, D.C. a few years ago with some of my family, and it made me sick to see all the rainbow flags. That's a religion. Our government is fully fully opposing us and one day and one day soon they're going to be coming for us if this is not turned. And I'm not here to try to talk to you about politics and win politics, but I'm telling you, there are forces here. They're taking the sense of justice and they're turning it. And there are sensitive people, who, and oftentimes it's young women. They're very vulnerable to this. They want to help people. They have this sense of empathy with others. But I tell you, there's many people, many people you know, I'm not going to give you details, but there's many people that I know who have, have their daughters are struggling with this in multiple relationships that I have. Young men get caught up into it as well. But again, if we know who God is, we cannot define justice apart from God's Word. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And so moral standards are not evil, they're good, as for our good always. We talked about this verse last night. Do you know according to this system who the most oppressive person who ever lived on this earth is? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Jesus Christ condemned evil. And He says, you know, sin ought to be punished. And so he basically said they're even going to try to put you to death because they have misunderstood justice. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. There's nothing new under the sun in this. If you got somebody caught up in this, they've given up on the church, they believe and somehow there is these terrible groups that are oppressing the country, how do you answer it? And you know how I answer it? Love your neighbor as yourself. And I ask this question, would you like somebody to do this to you? Would you like somebody to accuse you of something you never thought or did? And even the young child would recognize that. I wanted what is fair. Really quickly, again, I'm only touching on this, but see, sometimes doubt is created and then people introduce a new religion to them. How do we know what is fair? Ezekiel 18.20, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. We understand fairness. I'm not going to be convicted by what my daddy thought. I'm not going to be convicted by what daddy's daddy thought. I'm not going to be convicted because somebody with the same skin color you put in a group and you say they're oppressive and mean. Folks, don't judge me by others. Those people you're judging me by hate me too. They may be an individual. And this system hates that philosophy. And as a result, right now, my southern accent colored my skin and the fact that I'm a male within this system, a lot of people will shut down their mind and never hear my words when they're poisoned by this. It's like the 50s in reverse, isn't it? 
I, I know, Paul, you understand, you know, you're, we're, you're a little older than me, and we, we saw a very different culture growing up, didn't we? But it's the same thing in another way. And everybody recognizes they don't want to be judged that way. And it's true of all of us. You know, I'm not going to be judged by my group. I'm going to individually stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged by the things done in my body. According to Romans 14, 12, it's the Bible says, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. And so, brethren, whether it be in our relationships with others, whether it be in our marriage, whether it be in our relationship with our children, be fair-minded. Forgive others. Work with others, not on the basis of something done in the past that's been corrected, not on the basis of what some group is doing, not on the basis of what your fears say. Be just. When God judges us, it will be absolutely right based on evidence. Um, all right, basically, just be fair-minded. Don't accept something about somebody without having the evidence. Don't jump to conclusions. And again, you've got the verses that you could look at. I love in terms of scriptural things. Acts 17, 11 said people didn't draw conclusions until they read the scriptures for themselves. And so again, I think I've covered all of this here. Let me, because we got a lot to cover. Basically, you know what happens when people get caught into this. You know what politics is about? Power. Money. And if we still have a just elect election system, which I doubt we do, frankly. But that, that's another question. But in politics, you know what they try to do? When you get close to the election, they'll accuse somebody of something. And they'll wait as close to the election as they can and make an accusation. Do they, in many times, why do they make this accusation? Are they interested in justice? They're interested in getting people mad. Brethren, we're about to have probably the worst political cycle in the history of our country. Don't let them manipulate you. I don't care what side it is. Don't let them manipulate you with anger. I, I recommend turning off TV. I really recommend probably not pay attention to any of it. So I'm not sure how much difference it's going to make. I'm going to put that in the hands of God. But one thing I do not want to do is I don't want to get in a bunch of, bunch of scoffing, hatred, hated people and because somebody's a politician, I can make all kinds of charges against them. No, you can't. I don't have the verse here, but do you remember when uh, the, Michael the archangel was disputing with Satan over the body of Moses? He wouldn't make a reviling accusation against Satan. And how dare I make a reviling accusation against somebody else? This politician's evil. Well, I, I gotta watch my mouth and my tongue and my thoughts. And I'm afraid the political spirit can destroy the church. And most of the time when I see young people caught up in politics, they get caught up in stuff and they just lose all perspective. And older people can too. That's Satan's realm. In Titus 3, 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Not me and you. Not me and you. It's important we keep our minds and keep our hearts. We're going to do Psalms 109 and then the lesson will be yours. I know I'm talking about, well, no, I, I'm not going to be yours. I'm going to give you a couple more points, but let me just show you Psalms 109 real quickly. How should you respond to people who've hurt you? Psalms 109 too. 
They have spoken against me with lying tongue. They have also surrounded me with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. In return for my love, they are my accusers. But now notice, what does he do? But I give myself to my defense. I give myself to accusing them. I give myself to bringing up allies to make sure they attack those mean people. No, that's not how the verse reads. Verse 4. In return for my love, they are my accusers, but I give myself to prayer. Thus they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Is that a right response? Brethren, you will never regret giving vengeance to God. Praying to God is not weakness. Jesus is described in 1 Peter 3 that even though He was reviled, He didn't return evil for evil. And giving the example of Jesus, it says on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this. If somebody's hurt me, I'm not to remember it as my last few cents. If somebody's hurt me, I'm not to make this a cause I'm never going to let go. No, 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 no. You've got to let that stuff go. Go back to Psalms 109. Let me tell you one. You know what happens if you give yourself into the political unrighteousness? It affects your heart. It affects your mind. Listen to this. This is so powerful. It says, because he did not remember to show mercy. Here's that accuser. That accuser that wasn't fair. That accuser that wouldn't listen. That accuser that wanted want to go ahead because he's been hurt. I've been hurt and I can do what I want. All the rules are off. Okay. Because he did not remember to show mercy, but persecuted the poor and needy man that he might slay the broken in heart. Now notice verse 17. As he loved cursing, so let it come to him. As he did not delight in blessing, so let it be far from him. Let's just pause just for a moment. You know what happens when you become an angry man? You end up having a bunch of angry people around you. You know, one of the worst things you can do in the family is not deal with your anger, not deal with your with that vengeance, and it will affect your children more than almost anything you can do. You got to clean out the wound. You got to get rid of it. But let me tell you something else it does to you. Look at verse 18. This is sobering. This is powerful. As he clothed himself with cursing as with garment. Now listen to this. So let it enter his body like water and like oil into his bones. You know how to commit a slow form of suicide? Is to let bitterness into your heart. Remember I told you it's like cancer? It eventually changes your outlook of everything. I heard the funny story about the young person decided to play a trick on his grandfather and put this Limburg cheese on his mustache. I've never had Limburg cheese, but I understand that it stinks. And the grandfather woke up from his nap and he goes, this room stinks. And he went to another room, this room stinks. And he went to another room, this, this, the house stinks. And so he goes outside. The whole world stinks. <laughs> he was the stinker. But that's what bitterness can do to you. It can make you one of the most miserable, pessimistic, untrustworthy people. And God doesn't want that to happen to us. Now, a few points. You know how to do with your doubt. Be honest. 
Don't run away from personal guilt and don't run away from forgiveness. I love Daniel, uh, Nathaniel. Nathaniel was told, hey, we've come to find the Messiah. This is Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes, wait just a minute. The Messiah's got to come from Bethlehem, not from Nazareth. That was a legitimate doubt. Now look at this in, in John 1. And Nathaniel said to him, can good, anything good come out of Nazareth? Now listen to the next statement. Philip said to him, come and see. Oh man, that's fascinating when we love God. Okay, let's go look at him. I can open my Bible. I'll go see Jesus. I'll go talk to him. And guess what happened? Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. And then Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, For Philip called you when you were under victory, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Did he ever get his question answered about Bethlehem? He didn't, did he? That could be answered later. But you see, the person who loves God, they can get answers. And so, when we pray to God, we want to resolve our doubts. Let's trust God. The Bible talks about some people who are unstable and they doubt God. You know what our struggles is? Sometimes we pray to God about answers and then we take that worry back from them. The Bible says, don't, don't be unstable. You need to ask in faith. But here's another point. There are some people, they want to promote doubt. They don't want answers. And you'll, you'll try to study with them, and you try to help them, then they'll raise another question. And then you try to answer that, before you answer that question, they raise another question. There's some people don't want to believe, and they give you question, 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 question. And there's some young Christian, they go to some people, these people don't want to give you answers. It's easy to question things. It's easy to doubt things. It's e- but it's much more harder to dig deeper. And there are some people, they get on Facebook, they get on social media, and they love to be scoffers. They love to ask questions. You try to get them into a serious study, and they won't do it. They're doing Satan's work. I love to study with atheist agnostics. The ones who have seriously studied with me, I've seen wonderful things. But you got to have a heart that really does want to find what is right. There are some described as always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And so, um, all right, let's 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 let's, let's conclude. There's a couple one, one couple more verses, and then we'll draw the conclusion. Um, John three nineteen to twenty one. Here's my point. And that's open scriptures. Don't didn't put that in a PowerPoint. Let's just open a Bible on this one. Where would you be without your doubts? You have some doubts? I do. All of us have doubts. Pursue the answers. I hope I never stop having doubts. Because doubt in every case for me leads to knowledge. And you know, some doubts I answer quickly. You know what? Some doubts, sometimes it takes years. There's some things I'm still working on. But I got a foundation of knowing who God is. I don't doubt that. I know Jesus is the Son of God. I know that I'm weak. And I know some things, I probably got some things messed up over here that's going to fix this. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm patient with myself. There's two groups of people. Everybody in this audience, everybody who's accountable in this world could be in one of two categories. 
Which one are you and I in? John 3.19. I'm reading from the ESV tonight. And this is the judgment. That light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light. Lest his word should be exposed. So there's the doubters who will never get an answer. Verse 21. Let this be you and me. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been done in God. My brethren, thank God for your doubts. And then find ways with good, honest men through good study of the Scripture to work through it. You know, some of us old guys, you start telling me some things you've gone through. Yeah, I've been there, done that. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about it. And there's sometimes I need to go to somebody because, hey, Larry, okay, I've, I've done this, I've done this. And sometimes somebody may say, well, Larry, you know, I've still got my doubts on this too. I'm still working on it. But you see what we're doing? We're going to God. We're going to the right people, not the scoffers. You'll be blessed in that. See, I want my children to know I don't have it all right. But I do want my children to pursue truth. I don't want them to go run and hide. That's where Satan lives. May we all find that courage, even though we're afraid, <laughs> even though you know, we go pursuing some of those doubts. There may be some difficult things we hear. But my God will always answer with power those of us who walk down His path. Thank you, brethren, for your attention. I know we have... Those here tonight who love the Lord, serve Him. Just let the invitation be. Let us follow the, the, the words of the song. Let us be strong. Let us be courageous. Let us find the end of our doubt in faith and strength. Isn't it great to serve God who makes His will clear and can heal our souls and give us peace? If you need to respond in any way, would you come as we stand?